Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Well, I want to begin today a a new series. Um, I think it's an important series uh, about guarding our hearts and keeping our hearts. And so uh, let let me just share with you the scripture and then we'll just dive in this morning. How's that sound? Ready to dive in? All right, Mark chapter 7, we're going to start in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from from the market until they have immersed their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. I love how kind Jesus is, don't you? The kindness of the Lord draws men to repentance. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it all, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one of many examples among others. Then Jesus called into the crowd. Then Jesus called to the crowd, come and hear. All of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that food, the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. I love how Mark clarifies this statement. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Like there's so many mysteries of God in the Bible. So many things that Jesus said that are not clarified. But he makes sure that we all understand that Jesus meant we can now have bacon, right? (laughs) Like he could have explained what the, uh, the desolation or abomination of desolation was, but he does. He explains that Jesus says now all food is clean. I love, I love, there's, there's priorities there from Mark's gospel. And then he added, it was, 
Then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defiles you. They are what defiles you. So just to recap what happened here in this passage, the Pharisees come to see Jesus. And while they are there, the disciples begin to eat. And the Pharisees who are at this point already looking for something to complain about in Jesus see that the disciples did not wash their hands before the meal. So they pointed out to Jesus and then Jesus proceeds to tell them that it's not what you put into your body that defiles you, but what comes from your heart. What comes from your heart is what defiles you. Now, I do want to point this out. Jesus is not telling them that washing your hands is wrong. In fact, in society today, I hope that you wash your hands before you eat your meals, right? Especially if you've been to Walmart first, I really hope that you wash your hands, that, that cleaning your dishes before you eat from them is actually a good thing. I highly recommend you do that, right? So Jesus is not saying that these things are wrong. He's just saying that, that, that we think that, or that the Pharisees thought that that is what kept them clean is by following these rituals, these exterior rituals. And Jesus points out to them that it doesn't keep you clean if you wash your dishes. It's a good idea, but that's not what keeps you clean. That it's not from the outside that defiles you, but what comes from within the heart that defiles you. That the vile things, the things that violate us are not what comes into our bodies, but what comes out of our bodies. Defilement comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Defilement comes from your heart and there's not enough polish in the world you can put on the outside to clean up the inside. This is what Jesus is saying. That defilement comes from within. The Pharisees wanted them to wash their hands and clean their dishes to be clean. And we may look at that and kind of scoff and think that maybe that's, that just seems kind of silly to think that that is what makes you pure and makes you clean. But the reality is we do the exact same thing. We've just traded dishes for church attendance. We've traded soap and water for nice clothes and fake smiles. See, we make sure everyone around us sees our perfect families, sees our nice cars, sees our good job, our social status, our 401ks, and all of those things are nice and they're all in order. And that's what everyone sees. But what they don't see is that on the inside, we're still lost. We're still broken. We're still hurting. We're still facing the same sin cycles that we've been facing for years and years on end. And on the outside, we look polished. We look clean. We look good. But on the inside, we're still dead. It's what, what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says that you are whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. What does he mean? He means we are clean on the outside. 
We present ourselves well to others on the outside, but on the inside, we are full of dead man's bones. He goes on and says this. He says, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And we have worked hard to make a perfect life, yet we still feel empty. We struggle with the same sins and we still come home at night feeling the same feeling of emptiness and loss. Can anybody relate with that to me? On the outside, we have everything, but on the inside, we still have nothing. On the inside, we still have nothing. Why do we find ourselves in this situation so often? Because we keep washing our hands and neglecting our hearts. We keep washing our hands and neglecting our hearts. Jesus tells us that out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defiles us. We think that if we can just look good and presentable in front of everybody else, if we can just do enough good, then we'll feel better. All the while our hearts are hemorrhaging with vile things. And this is why Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter four, it says to keep your hearts with all diligence for out of it will flow all of the issues of life. Out of our heart will flow all of the issues of life. So keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows all the issues of life. What does that mean? What is the proverb trying to tell us? It's telling us that if we focus on cleaning our hearts and keeping our hearts pure from these vile things, it says that everything else begins to fall into line. That if we learn how to to keep our hearts, to diligently keep our hearts pure and clean, then everything else in our life begins to fall into place. That everything else in our life begins to fall in our place when we keep our heart clean. When our heart is right, our eyes will see correctly. When our heart is right, our tongue will be tamed. That's a big one, isn't it? When our hearts are right, our tongues will be tamed. How many of you have a hard time keeping your tongue under control. Yeah. Yeah. Judy, I didn't see your hand back there. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk, how hard is it? No, I'm just kidding. It's hard to keep the tongue tame, but when our heart is right, our tongues will be tamed. When our heart is right, our thoughts will be innocent. How many of you have a hard time controlling your thoughts and what you think? But when your heart is pure, your thoughts will be pure. If something is off in our life, we need to get brave enough to begin fearlessly searching our hearts to see what may be hiding in the shadows. If something is off in our lives, that means there's something off in our hearts. And we need to be diligent to begin to seek out what that might be. Amen? I've worked all the way there to get to this point today. What I want to talk about, the main topic one of the things that defiles our hearts 
I want to begin this series unmasking an issue of the heart that defiles all of us and is often so subtle that we don't even always realize it ourselves. This issue of the heart is a silent killer. It's cunning and it's deceptive. And a lot of times, many times, it hides in the shadows of our heart and we don't even realize it's there. So a couple of years ago, some of my really good friends uh, held a service in Kokomo, just a one-day event, and they brought in an outside group to come and to minister, and one of, one of my friends was ministering there. His name is Isaiah, and uh, he was the, the, pre, the, the speaker for the evening for this little mini-conference that they were putting on at Cross America in Kokomo. And uh, they, they made all of these flyers, all these advertisements for this event. And there was my buddy, Isaiah, on the front of the poster, advertising that he was going to be this speaker. You know, on Cross America, there's this, how many of you have been by Cross America? There's, there's this huge uh, LED billboard. Yeah, Carly, she gets coffee there all the time. Give her, give her a shout out if you see her next time. So uh, maybe buy her a cup of coffee. There you go. Um, but Cross America has this giant LED screen on the front of their building. And then leading up, the months leading up to this event, uh, they were advertising this one-night conference, this one-night event that they were hosting. And there was my buddy Isaiah on this, on this giant LED screen in the middle of Kokomo preaching in, uh, in this video, and it just looked awesome. It was so cool right? And so there's this advertisement. So the night comes and we go to the conference. This incredible crowd shows up. They had a huge response. The worship there was electric. It was powerful. God showed up in a major way. Then my buddy Isaiah gets up there and he preaches this incredible message and preaches the gospel with all of his heart and does this incredible job up there. After the, he preaches, he gives an invitation and there's this huge crowd that responded to the invitation and they were up there praying for all of these people. People, and God was moving and doing all of these incredible things. And on the outside this whole time, I'm being supportive and I'm cheering them on. And I'm saying, this is awesome. This is great. I love what you guys are doing. And on the inside, I'm the most jealous human being that has ever walked the face of the planet. <laughs> because what nobody realized is that there was this battle happening in me on the inside. I wanted to be the guy on the poster. I wanted to be the guy that was on the LED screen in the middle of Kokomo, looking awesome, preaching the gospel, right? I wanted to be the guy that got to preach the gospel in a powerful way and see a response. You know, the greatest definition of envy that I've ever heard is this, that envy is the pain you feel over another person's success. And nobody knew it. In fact, I didn't even realize what was happening on the inside of me. But deep inside my heart, there is envy rotting my bones. There is this thing of envy rotting my bones. And envy, as I said before, is the silent killer. It's the silent killer. It's deceptive because oftentimes we don't even realize it's there. It's just there in seed form. And, and maybe you're thinking like I did. 
oh, well, envy, I've had way worse sins than envy, right? Like we all get jealous every now and then, like that's normal. You know, why make a big deal about envy? Let me tell you why I make a big deal about envy. Envy is what caused Cain to kill his brother Abel. Envy is what caused Rachel to hate her sister Leah because Leah was able to have kids and Rachel was not. Envy is what caused Saul to throw spears at David and try to kill the next king of Israel, the anointed king. Envy is what ultimately caused the Pharisees to cry out, crucify Jesus. So yeah, envy may seem like no big deal in seed form. The problem is, is envy, when, become full, when it becomes fully mature, is actually the seeds of murder. So envy is no small thing. Envy is one of those vile things that Jesus tells us corrupts the heart, that defiles us. And when we allow envy to live on the inside of us, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that envy rots the bones. That envy rots the bones. It causes us to slowly decay from the inside out. Envy is the silent killer. And here's the deal. Nobody wants to admit that they struggle with envy. Right? Nobody wants to admit that. I mean, look, look at how disgusting envy is. Here's why nobody wants to discuss, to talk about envy. I even struggled sharing that story with you today because listen, my buddy was preaching the gospel to people. People were encountering Jesus and I'm in the back kicking rocks because it wasn't me. How disgusting is that? Right? Nobody wants to unveil that they struggle with envy because we all know how disgusting it can be. And how vile it can be. And so we hide it even from ourselves and we justify it even within ourselves. So here's what we do. We struggle with envy, but we don't expose it because we don't want it to be seen. And so we tend to do two things. Here's how we hide envy within ourselves. The first thing we do is we criticize. Right? When we have envy, we mask it with criticism. So when we left that conference there that night, I'm in the car with my wife. On that word to everybody else, I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. You guys did incredible. But we get in the car right on the way home. Guess what immediately began to happen? Man, that was a great service, wasn't it, babe? Yeah. You know, they could have done this a little bit better though. You know, like Isaiah preached a great message, but did you notice how he kind of stumbled his way through this, kind of like I'm doing a little bit this morning, right? He stumbled his way through this part of the message. You notice that, right? And you begin to mask your envy with criticism because envy makes you feel weak, but criticism makes you feel powerful. Because man, if I had the chance to do that, I would have done it better. If I was in his shoes, I would have done it this way and it would have been better. And envy makes us feel weak, but criticism makes us feel strong. So we hide the envy in our hearts. We protect the envy in our hearts with criticism. That they could have done this better. They could have said it this way. I would have done it this way. And we begin to criticize 
to make us make ourselves feel strong. The second thing we do to hide envy is we hide it under nobility. We hide it under a just cause. Let me show you what I mean in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. It says, now he was teaching, this is Jesus. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately he was, or she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on one of them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite, does, it not, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and, or donkey? from the stall and lead it away to the water. So ought not this woman be being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, uh, who as Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So here you have Jesus who heals this woman on the Sabbath day in this synagogue. And the synagogue leader rises up with indignation because Jesus has broken the Jewish law of working on the Sabbath. And so here was his noble cause. Jesus, I'm glad you can heal people, but there's other days, there's six days in the week to do that. Today is not the day. And he is defending the Sabbath with nobility. But in reality, the real culprit is envy. The real culprit is envy. And he looks, Jesus calls it out. He says, you hypocrite. He says, you don't have a problem working on the Sabbath. You take your donkeys, you take your animals to feed them. How much more precious is this woman? He, he calls him out. He says, it's not that you want to protect the Sabbath. It's that you, or it's that, that I was able to come in with power and work a miracle in your synagogue that you couldn't perform. The real issue was not that he wanted to protect the Sabbath. The real issue is that he was jealous that he couldn't do what Jesus could. And so envy caused him to miss Jesus. Look at that. Envy caused him to miss the Son of God in front of him because he was envious. He was jealous over what Jesus was able to do. Envy hides under the mask of nobility. If you were to ask the religious leaders why they wanted Jesus crucified, they would have told you because of his blasphemy, because Jesus is leading people astray. But even Pilate, 
who was a Roman governor, a Gentile who didn't even believe or serve God, looked at the Pharisees and knew exactly the reason why they chose to crucify Jesus. He tells us, Pilate tells us in Matthew chapter 27, it says that he said to them, for he knew that they handed him over because of what? Envy. That if you were to ask the Pharisees why they crucified Jesus, they would tell you because of blasphemy, because he's lead people astray. But the reality is that even a Gentile Roman governor could see the reason why was because they had envy in their hearts for Jesus. Because Jesus kept showing them up. Because Jesus was able to heal and they were not able to heal. Because Jesus was able to preach the gospel and better than they were able to preach the gospel. They were jealous of Jesus. And because of that, listen, because of this seed of envy, they missed the Son of God in front of them. That envy so blinded them that Jesus, the Son of God, was standing in front of them and they could not see him. Envy is a big deal. Envy is a big deal. It causes us to be blind and miss what God has for us. So how do we keep our hearts free from envy? I'm going to take just a few minutes. I know we're getting close here. How do we keep ourselves free from envy? How do we keep our hearts free from envy? I think I want to give you two, reason, two ways this morning. The first thing we have to do is we have to learn how to expose it. We have to learn how to expose the envy in our hearts. Let me show you what I mean here in 1 John. 1 John, starting chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which I have, which you have heard from the be- This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But listen, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the first step in cleaning our hearts from envy? We expose it to the light. We expose it to the light. We first reveal it and realize it's there ourselves. And then we expose it to the Father. And we say, God, I'm dealing with this vile, destructive thing of envy. And we expose it to him. And the Bible says that in that exposure, in bringing it to the light, it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Amen. We have to expose envy. Proverbs 14.30 says that a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. My daughter, Maylee, loves strawberries. So we get strawberries every week and I cut them up and I put them in her lunch. But there's something that happens about halfway through the week. As I dig through the strawberry pile, there's always that one strawberry that begins to look a little fuzzy, right? It begins to look a little fuzzy. And what happens is, is if I miss that strawberry 
and I don't take it out of the package, if I don't remove it, what ends up happening is it, that, that little bit of fuzz quickly begins to spread on every other piece of fruit in the box. But if I can remove that, 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 uh, that strawberry with the mold on it, if I can remove that strawberry with the rottenness on it, if I can cut it off, then I can save the rest of the strawberries. And that's what we do when we expose envy on the inside of us. We cut it off from the rest of our body, that if we let it stay and we let it simmer, it begins to affect the rest of our body. But if we cut it off at the source, if we expose it to the light, then God is faithful and just to forgive us. And we can rid ourselves, we can rid our heart of that vile thing of envy. Amen? So the first thing we have to do is we have to expose it to the light. When we expose sin, it loses its power over us. In that exposure, sin loses its grip on us. Amen? Number two, we have to establish ourselves firmly in God's love. Ephesians 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When we are rooted and grounded in his love, there is nothing that anyone else has that we long for because we already have everything that we need. When we are established in the love of God, when our identity, let me take it a step further, when our identity is established as God's beloved son and daughter. What my brother has does not cause me to be jealous because I already have everything that I need in his love. That I'm already satisfied in knowing that I am dearly and deeply loved by the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love does not Envy. So how do we fix envy? We fix envy with love. We fix envy with love. That love does not envy. And how, do, how does love fix envy? Love fixes envy because love is not selfish. That envy within itself is self-centered. It's, um, it's self-preservation. It's, you know what I'm saying. You want to preserve yourself. <laughs> Envy seeks out its own good over the good of others. But love is exactly the opposite. Love seeks the good of others. Love is unselfish. It's the love of Jesus. What is, what is Jesus? That the greatest love of all was that he laid his life down for us. And the Bible actually tells us to love our neighbor as Jesus loves us. How did he love us? He loved us sacrificially. He loved us by laying down his own life 
to save us. So how do we overcome evil? One, we expose it. But two, we get firmly rooted and grounded in the identity that we are loved by the Father. And when we are, are rooted and grounded in that identity, then we begin walking as Jesus walked. We begin loving others as Jesus loved others. And we begin loving others uh, with a selfless kind of love. When we finally realize the width, the height, and the depth of Christ's love for us and come into the understanding of our identity in that love, it crushes envy on the inside of us because love does not envy. Love does not envy. When we find our identity, I'll end with this statement here. When we find our identity in our status, when we find our identity in our jobs, when we find our identity and how other people perceive us, then envy has, has a place to grow. It has fertile soil to grow in because if our identity is in our status and our job, let me tell you something, there's always gonna be somebody better than you. There's always gonna be somebody who is just a little bit better than me. There's always, for me, there's always going to be a preacher that can preach better than I can. There's always gonna be somebody that can do your job better than you can. So when our identity is found in our job or our status, then envy has fertile soil to grow in. But when our identity is rooted and grounded in his love, when our identity is rooted and grounded in the fact that we are the beloved of God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, then envy has no place to grow. Envy has no place to take root. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. I just want to challenge you all this week to keep your heart with all diligence. Search your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin revealing things to you that are on the inside, that are hidden deep within the recesses of your heart. If it's envy, then allow him to expose it so that it can be cut off at the source. If you're dealing with envy, then listen, it's a sure indicator that you have not found yourself fully rooted in your identity as beloved. So if you're dealing with envy this week, I want you to take time this week to reestablish yourself in your identity as the beloved child of God and allow that love to wash over you because love does not envy. So when you love and you realize you are loved, it has no place to grow, amen? Jesus, I thank you again for your word this morning. Father, I pray you would give us a grace to be able to search our own hearts relentlessly, Father. God, that Holy Spirit, you would uh, re begin to unveil in us the hidden things in our heart that may be corrupting us, that may be violating us, Jesus. The hidden things in our heart that are causing us to be distant from you, Jesus. And Father, begin to expose those things and then wash over us, cleanse us once again in your love, Jesus. God, I just pray that envy would not be able to take root in any of any person in this congregation. And Father, that, that envy would be exposed and that love would wash over us, Jesus. God, I thank you for your word once again this morning. 
We honor you today in Jesus' holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.